A lot happened that night. After three years of following Jesus, all of it came undone in one night. It all started with a meal. Jesus called it the Last Supper, the last time we would break bread together before what he said would be the fulfillment of the kingdom. We didn't know what that meant, but, but we knew it was going to be big. It was such a heavy night. A Passover unlike any other we had ever experienced with him. See, Jesus had some things to make clear to us that night, and unfortunately, some of it was directed at me. His words burn in my memory and play on repeat in my conscience. I mean, how can you forget when Jesus looks at you and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you turn again, strengthen your brothers. There were times when Jesus would predict a future that was an absolute mystery to us, but so clear to him. And this was one of those nights. I, I couldn't believe it. How could he think that of me? I pledged my allegiance. Lord, I would go with you to both prison and to death. And I meant it. That's when Jesus predicted a future that was so clear to him. It may as well already have happened. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows on this very day, you will deny even knowing me three times. Like I said, it was all unraveling. It seemed like everything was falling apart. And it didn't get better when we get to the garden. When Jesus asked us to watch and pray, and we slept. When he asked us to resist temptation, and we couldn't even resist sleep. And Judas, that betrayer came, and I lashed out impulsively. Or when we watched as Jesus went to the courtyard of the high priest, and we watched and we waited from the night into the early morning in absolute fear, a fear that I had never known before. That's when I was spotted and accused of being an accomplice. A servant girl called to me once. Another girl accused me of being with him twice. Still another bound me to him because of my accent. Three times. Three times I denied Jesus. I denied Jesus with an oath. I called down a curse upon myself and denied Jesus. And then the crow, the rooster crowed and at that point, I realized what I had done. And as I did it, I turned. Jesus turned his head and looked at me. With those eyes, those knowing eyes, Jesus knew 
I was the inner circle. Jesus gave me a nickname, Petros, the rock. And in one night, one night, it all came undone. I left there and I wept with bitter tears. I left Jesus and I wept. It was John the Baptist who introduced Andrew to Jesus, and we read in the first chapter of John that Andrew immediately went and found his brother Simon and told him, I found the Messiah, I found the Christ, and he took his brother Simon to this Jesus. Well, this Simon, as we just saw in this drama, became Peter, and that's who we're talking about tonight. We're continuing the sermon series. We're almost done with it, right? We've done it through all of Lent called Were You There? We're talking about personalities, people who were with Jesus at the foot of the cross. And you know the story, and we just heard it again in the drama, that Peter was not with Jesus at the foot of the cross. He got scared. He bailed out. He, he saw the way things were going. They were going down, and he was out of there. Maybe like a businessman, he saw things turning south, and he got out before too many losses were felt. Well, thank God we're not talking about business tonight. Thank God we're talking about love. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a privilege to stand with you tonight in this place on this unusual and peculiar night. It's a, it's a day-long funeral. We're, we're grieving. We're full of sorrow. Jesus has died, the Lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world, but he died for us that we might be redeemed. The um, sacrificial atonement that took place on the cross. So thank you. Let our ears be open to hear from you tonight. Let our hearts be softened to receive you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Together we all say, amen. Well, our first stop this evening is that Peter will deny Jesus, but Jesus will intercede. Peter will deny Jesus, but Jesus intercedes. We just heard it in the drama. Let me share with you again what goes on here before kind of this all goes down, if I can say it that way. In Luke 22, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus intercedes. He sees what's going to happen. happen. Simon, the, the evil one's coming after you, but I will intercede. I will go before you. I will stand between you and total calamity, and I'll go to the Father and, and pray for your faith. Jesus knew that that denial was coming, and he was taking his request to the Father. And what's even more amazing this evening is that Jesus is doing the exact same thing for you and me right now. We know this from Romans 8. 33 and 34, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died. And that's what we're talking about tonight on Good Friday, right? Jesus Christ who died more than that was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
So what Jesus said to Simon, we could say that he said to us, whatever your name is, he's saying it, you, you, I know the devil's coming after you, but I have gone to the Father on your behalf that your faith might remain strong. And on this Good Friday, this day that we think of Jesus on the cross, are there any more beautiful words of intercession than those that come from Jesus' mouth when he says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He was interceding for the people who were killing them. And that takes us directly to Hebrews 7, where the events of Good Friday tie perfectly with this idea of intercession. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save, to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Peter would deny Jesus, but Jesus would intercede for him. Our second stop this evening takes us here. Peter abandons his calling, but Jesus will reinstate. So Jesus knew all along that this fisherman, Simon, who would come to faith in him, he would turn into, through the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the leaders of the early church. He was going to be a pastor. Well, with the three-time denial that we just heard about, Peter was saying, I don't don't want that office. But in the beautiful verses of the reinstatement, we read that Jesus puts him back in. So Peter has denied Jesus. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. And then they have this beautiful encounter in John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of uh, John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And Jesus said, "Uh, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So this sheep and lamb language speaks to the church, speaks to pastoral work. A, A pastor, the name pastor, the word pastor means a shepherd. Be a shepherd of my church, of my flock, Peter. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of them. You have abandoned your calling, your office, but I am... I am reinstating you. Scientists in 2006, paleontologists um, who were studying brontosaurus, I don't know why, this is what paleontologists do, they made this decision, I mean, I don't know why they were studying him, but I don't know why they made this decision, but they came to the conclusion that brontosaurus ought not to have his own place as head of a genus. Remember fifth grade biology? Kingdom phylum class, order, family, genus, species. So all the classifications of life, and they found the evidence that brontosaurus does not, there's not enough evidence that he should have his own genus. There's another large dinosaur that should be the head of this genus. So brontosaurus lost his position as head of the genus. 2006. 2015, paleontologists get back together, study the evidence, and say, no, brontosaurus ought to be the head of his own genus. We ought to reinstate him to where he once was. Jesus is saying the same to Peter. You you left, but I am reinstating you into the family where you belong. Church, Jesus is saying that to us tonight. You have walked away from me because of your sin. The post that I had for you in your life, perhaps you've abandoned because of your rebellion, but I am reinstating you. The job that you have in the church, whether it's a full-time ministerial role or people working with other people and loving them as the church, Christ is reinstating you. Our third stop this evening, Peter acknowledges his sin, but Jesus forgives. So much earlier in the story, Peter and his fellow fishermen are fishing all night and catching nothing. 
And Jesus says, Simon Peter, take you and your fishermen, put back out in the boat and drop your nets. And Peter says, Master, we've been fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus says, do it anyway. And those are miraculous catch of fish. Their nets are loaded. And Peter sees the miracle. And in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When Jesus said, uh, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on, you'll fish for people. Peter had been exposed to the holiness of God. Through this miracle, I gotta tell you, it's one of the lesser impressive miracles, right? I mean, Jesus raised people from the dead. He made blind people see. He made people who couldn't walk, walk. And okay, so he fills some nets full of fish. But Peter saw the miraculous nature of this and it pressed on him and it exposed him to the fact that, Jesus, you're not like me. The fact that you could do that You are divine. You need to be away from me because I'm a sinful man. When we're exposed to the holiness of God through miracles or other means, it shines a light on our sin. And that happened to Peter. He saw that he was a sinful man. Those who walk in darkness in the deeds of deception and darkness don't like light because it sheds light on their deeds. We know this from John 3. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Why? For fear that their deeds will be exposed. Peter came into the light and he saw his sinfulness, but God had a plan that even Peter's sinfulness would be forgiven. Well, our final stop, and I want to spend a few minutes here, is that Peter sees that Christ, that in Christ there is no permanent tragedy, but without Christ there is no permanent victory. Peter sees that in Christ there is no permanent tragedy, but without Christ there is no permanent victory. So things happen. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. He's taken up into heaven, and the church is born. And Peter is there, one of the early pastors, one of the early leaders, and he preaches this miraculous, amazing a sermon in Acts 5, and he says these words. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead. In Christ, there is no permanent tragedy. Freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In Christ, there is no permanent tragedy. And then he goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. What he's saying there is that outside of Christ, there is no permanent victory. Stay away from corruption and, un- and godlessness because you'll think you're getting ahead. There'll be things that happen to you that seem nice, but they're fleeting. They, they won't last. The victories that those outside of Christ earn are fleeting. They don't last. The Old Testament speaks to it. Job twenty fifty. The exalting of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless but for a moment. In Ecclesiastes, a little more classic English, in the seventh chapter, as for the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, in other words, a campfire, like wood in a campfire, so is the laughter of a fool, and this too is futility. Peter saw that in Christ, no tragedy is permanent. His denial was not permanent, it was forgiven. Even Christ on the cross, that tragedy, that was not permanent. He would be resurrected. David Foster Wallace spoke to um, a graduating class here at Kenyon College in Ohio a couple years ago. Kenyon College, it's pretty high in college. These people were going to graduate and do really well. David Foster Wallace wanted to warn them that the victories that you'll earn in this life are fleeting. Don't put your treasure where it doesn't belong because you will be disappointed and crushed. 
don't put your treasure where it doesn't belong because you will be disappointed and crushed. He said this, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you'll never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. He said, worship your body and beauty, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb your now own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always being on the verge of being found out. For those of us in Christ, the victories that we're given, the blessings are to be enjoyed, but that's not where our treasure goes. Our focus, what we adore, what we love, all goes on Christ. And when that happens, even the tragedies of life are not permanent. I don't mean to lessen the pain you're feeling. These aren't trivial things. People in your life dying, sickness, economic troubles. These are not small, but they won't last because Christ takes that which is broken and he makes it right. As a kid, I have to tell you, I lived a pretty good life. We grew up here on Bennett Road at the bottom of the hill near Aikens, and Saturday mornings were pretty special. For some reason, my parents were very gracious. They would let me sleep in on Saturday mornings, and I would get up and usually crank on the television. I can't remember if it was 9 or 10 o'clock, but ABC's Wide World of Sports Jim McKay with that iconic introduction. They would show crazy stuff. Evil Knievel jumping over buses, roller derby. How about demolition derby? And then they would show normal stuff too, skiing and, and ice figure skating and stuff. But I loved the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> Curly Neal, Meadowlark Lemon, they were good. Man, they did stuff on a basketball court that was unbelievable. Dunking the basketball in, boy, in ways you've never seen. Half-court shots that would go in every trick in the book. They looked awesome. It was a great show. But I was interested in when the referees would call a foul against the Globetrotters. They didn't like it. And they retaliated. They would take a bucket of water and splash it on the ref. They would walk up to him and take a basketball and bounce it off the forehead and, and then run away. They would sneak up behind the refs and pull down their pants. It was a show. It was... Fantasy, you can't do that in real life. You can't bounce a basketball for someone's head. You definitely can't pull down their pants. You'll get, get arrested and go to jail. For, the, for those outside of Christ, for them, it's a Harlem Globetrotters game. They seem to be doing things and getting away with it. They're bouncing basketballs off of people's heads. They're splashing water on They're pulling down their pants, and it seems like there aren't any real consequences. But the sadness for them is the victories they're finding in this life are fleeting. They, they won't last. But for those of us in Christ, when tragedy occurs, it's real. It hurts. There's sorrow. We face it. We take it to the Lord. We take it to each other for comfort. But we know, as I just said, Jesus takes things that are broken and he makes them whole. So some of the most famous stuff in the Bible, John 3, right? He's having this exchange with this man, Nicodemus, who's so curious about heavenly things in the kingdom. And first, Jesus shares with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, for those in Christ, there is no tragedy that is permanent. And then two, two verses later, he shares, for those outside of Christ, there is no victory that's permanent. He says it this way. You know the first part for sure. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, what, shall not perish. No tragedy is permanent, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And here's the part about no victory outside of Christ being permanent. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one 
and only Son. See, what Peter knew is that unless you treasure Jesus, you will never be rich because the treasure you get from Christ is the only treasure that will last. What Peter knew was that unless you have Jesus, you will never be satisfied because he's the only satisfaction that lasts forever. What Peter knew was that unless you treasure Jesus, you will never have lasting victory because his gift is what is eternal. And Peter knew, like we know today, that it really is easy to treasure Jesus because he first treasured us. And he proved it on a cross. What drove Jesus to the cross was his great love for us, his great affection, the fact that we are his treasure. And he saw us in trouble because of sin. And it was that great affection, that great treasuring of us that drove us to the cross, that put him up there, literally driving steel, metal through his body to stick him on a piece of wood, to take the wrath, have the Father turn away from him. So we find it now easy to treasure Jesus because he first treasured us and proved it by dying on a cross. A couple of next steps for you before we finish up at least this portion of the service tonight. Let the light of God shine on you to show you your sin, but also let it show you your Savior. Number two, allow Jesus to intercede, to forgive, to reinstate you. And thirdly, remember that in Christ there is no permanent tragedy. Let's come together in prayer. Jesus, help us to treasure you. Misplaced affection leads to tragedy, and that tragedy can hurt. But when we treasure you, when our affection is on you, when we adore you, when we see that what you've done for us changes everything, it's a little easier for us to treasure you. Tonight, as we look upon you on the cross, let us treasure you and place our affections on you, receiving forgiveness, being fully aware of it, knowing it, acknowledging it, and living a different life because of it. Jesus, we love you. We pray it all in, in Jesus' precious name, and together we all say, amen.